This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? I know you can't answer my question back. I get that wrong all the time, but I am well. Can you dig it? I can. And welcome to another episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. I'm your host, Sam LaCrosse. Okay, so I am actually recording this on a Saturday, not a Friday like I usually do because I was super, super slammed this week. I was just so dead tired. I had to really, really kind of gut this post out. I you know, going through a lot of stuff with, you know, the exciting project that I get to tell you guys about in a couple weeks and with my normal work and this work. So, but this is an important topic. So I wanted to make sure that I really, really gave it my best and gave it my all and tried to salvage what was a really, really difficult week for me and trying to make something out of it that was constructive and positive, even though the topic today is not necessarily positive, especially, you know, depending on your views on that. But Anyway, I wa I've been thinking about this post for a long time. I've wanted to write it for a long time. I just didn't really know how to phrase it or how to go about it or how to kind of put it out there for people to perceive it. And I think that now, given what's going on with me personally, with my life, with what I've been seeing going on, and the time actually worked out very well, I thought, not in a, a good way because we're talking about a very not good subject for the most part today. But I think, um, you know, it, it's kind of ironic how the last two years have really shaped a lot of people's opinions on it. I've given it a lot of thought and I've given a lot of second thoughts to a lot of the stuff that I thought about the topic we're going to cover today. So what I tried to do was really kind of summarize, I think, a lot of people's journey into figuring out what they perceive and have opinions about the subject for. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see kind of the interplay with kind of my journey around the thought of this topic and your journey around the thought of this topic and people's journey around this thought of topic because I do think a lot of people think similarly about this and we just don't talk about it a lot because as you can probably tell by the post, it is dark and depressing and a bunch of shit. So anyway, I think we should just get right into it and I think we should kind of just see where it takes us. So here we go. Anniversaries are usually fun things to celebrate. Tradition is a part of life, with traditions of relationships usually reigning paramount. But some, like all things, are not. Some, rather, remind us of the things that are not fun, things that are not great, things that should be remembered, but not at all for the good times they provided us. Exactly two years and two weeks before this article goes live, COVID officially fucked America in the ass. On March 13, 2020, the United States went into a state of emergency. We hadn't seen anything like this in years, and certainly not in our generation. This is something new, something different. No one was prepared, and no one was ready. 
No one had any fucking clue what was going on. Unfortunately, as we've discovered in the two years and two weeks since, not a lot of people still do. Even the people that said they did, didn't, and don't. They turned out to be innocent in the initial and liars in the latter. We're all worse off for it. But this article is not about the ineptitudes of our expert and ruling class. These, those pains are already exposed for public consumption, and certainly on this medium. We don't need any more of it, at least for right now. It's not about the mob and anti-mob that supports both sides of the insanity. These people deserve less credence, not more. This is about something much more real and much more substantial. I've had a lot of thoughts about the happenings the past two years and two weeks. If there's one positive that's happened because of it, it turned out to be a great time to create a content business. I certainly had no shortage of things to write about and talk about on this medium. In a lot of ways, I wish I didn't. To the contrary of a lot of what goes on in our modern and fake digital world we live in, boring is not bad. Boring is good, actually. Boring is what we live for, for the most part. Boring is the sign of stability, of serenity. Constant excitement is not a good thing. Ask any guy who's dated a diet Charles Manson before, he'll tell you. As discussed in the last podcast, the beer virus is mostly over. Our business elites, governments, and world leaders made it so. The reason is not anything to do with decency, public health, or science. The reason has everything to do with the people that are residing under those individuals finally saying enough is enough. Canada went from democracy to totalitarian dictatorship to democracy again in about 15 minutes. That's a lot of change for a lot of people in a very short time. A lot of them didn't like it very much. With that change in attitude come, came a change in crisis urgency. Noting this, the world decided to take turn to the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, which is now largely proving to be a complete and total embarrassment for Vladimir Putin and the Russian military. The thought of them being taken seriously as a world power should be all but gone at this point. They're as unserious as the people in America who call other Americans, quote, unpatriotic for not wanting to deploy to secure Ukraine's sovereignty. The irony of this is both palpable and disgusting. We don't know when this new crisis that the world has declared in Ukraine will end. We can only hope it ends as peacefully as possible, and that as much suffering as possible can be alleviated through the good works of people around the world. There will be much suffering that comes from this conflict, as there was from the COVID pandemic. The worst party that will be affected, as usual, will be children. There have been estimates that the refugee crisis that will emerge is going to be massive. 1.5 million Ukrainian children will be at risk of being thrown into modern-day slave trade that is human trafficking. It's an awful scenario. But with all of the suffering that still exists, it's the suffering that has, in a way, been ended that this post will focus on. It is something that has touched nearly everyone nearly every day. We're reminded of it constantly. We can never catch a break from it. Unfortunately, it has desensitized most of us, which is a shame because it is, from a lot of metrics, one of the most sensitizing things that we can ever experience. Death. If you're any reasonable person, or an especially morbid fuck like me, this is a large part of what has defined the last two years and two weeks of our lives. Mainstream news organizations had a ticker going on their screens during the height of the pandemic. People had to bury their loved ones over Zoom. Innocent civilians are getting slaughtered in Ukraine right now. And all of it has been tailor-made for public consumption by whichever source of information you choose to source from. This is an odd thing to realize, but this has been nothing short of an odd time in general. Death is a very taboo subject for most people to discuss. However, it's also been an issue that we've been forced to confront en masse. It's a bizarre thing to see in contrast to the way our culture currently works. We're told to, quote, live our best lives and, quote, be present while millions of people have dropped dead, war crimes are being ramped up, and dozens of American cities burned last year. It's a dichotomous mindfuck at best and straight-up delusion at worst. If you've noticed this trend like I have, you've probably done some internal inventory. 
Over the last two weeks and two years, I've begun to look into and question my own mortality. I've asked myself very simple but very hardly easy questions. What does any of this shit mean? How does it all fit in? Do I mean anything at all? In essence, this all boils down to a simple question. How should we feel about things coming to an end? This is a very difficult ask, question to ask of yourself, mostly because we avoid thinking about it mostly all of the time. When I was younger, I remember being dramatically afraid of death. One of my earliest memories is when I first realized this, and I completely broke down in my parents' bathroom. My mom had to console me. I had really bad anxiety when it came to socialization. But what really got me was knowing that it all came to an end no matter whether I got my shit together or not. But, thankfully, that part's over now. Most mature people were, at one point, immature and felt the same way. I've since grown out of it, at least I hope I have, and gained a new perspective. Looking at it from multiple vantage points has certainly helped. I've had a couple brushes with death, as probably most of you have. I've read people who've had lies that were at points worse than death. The Stoics thought about death all the time. Because, as the old saying goes, death is unavoidable. No one can escape it. We almost pay the piper and do so whenever it decides to demand payment from us. The sickening reality of the situation is that not a single one of us can know what it feels like. No one will be alive to tell us what it is. That's the opposite of death, if you weren't aware. Dead people cannot read articles on the internet, especially not ones from third-rate, at best, bloggers like myself. Human beings hate uncertainty in all forms and fashions. We'll get more into this later, but a massive driver of so many things that human beings have created over the centuries has been our fear of the unknown. We don't know what will happen when an unknown pathogen gets unleashed upon the world, so we immediately spring to create medical treatments. We don't know what will happen when mobs of unknown Twitter users come for our necks, so we rush to send out whatever woke platitude will spare us their wrath. We don't know what will happen when our boyfriend tries that move in the bedroom he's been talking about for months, so we run through Alex Cooper's monologues like Alan in The Hangover to try to ease our mental analysis. But unless the Twitter mobs come to your door with pitchforks and torches, they won't, or your boyfriend somehow kills you with his dick, he definitely won't. None of these comes close to the ultimate unknown of death. It's such a leviathan. It's the iceberg that hits the Titanic. It's the meteor and don't look up. It's whatever you want to use for whatever situation you find yourself in. The question is not whether we will face death or not, because we all will. The question, rather, is how should we go about doing the facing? The reality is, even if our society avoids talking about it, even when it's the leviathan of the COVID-2020 Russia, etc., is always in front of us, it always captivates us. It always seems to ensnare us in its trap. This is the paradox that comes to the subject. We can never truly rid ourselves of its anxiety, because it's always there. Thus, the unknown must be explored in order to purge our fear. And to do that, first, we'll look into why death is such a captivating topic to so many people. Next, we'll look at the two most opposite ways people perceive death and how they're both wrong. Lastly, we will dig into what I believe is the right way to perceive and look at death. And so, if I haven't totally sketched you out at this point, I'm going to retrack. If this is your first podcast of me, I promise I get slightly less gruesome as you go backwards. Slightly less. But before it gets slightly less gruesome, let's first start with why we like that death is gruesome. Yes, you heard me. We all like it. Or at least we like it enough to be interested in it. Like it or not, in this day and age, that counts for something. It wouldn't have been shown on those mainstream news organizations if it wasn't. <coughs> Excuse me. 
We wouldn't get teared up at celebrity funerals and obituary announcements. We wouldn't have watched Dune and not been intrigued that somehow man they, they somehow managed to literally kill every non-Timothy Chalamet character and make a sequel on top of it. The audacity was both appalling and impressive. Death, like most things, inspires us dichotomously. There are two sides to every issue that must be discussed. Many times there are more, but usually there are two. Many times both of them have validity to them, which is true in the case of death. But also many times, those two supposedly valid reasons could also be wrong. And as we'll get to later on, this is also the case with death. But first, let's start with the building blocks. The two reasons that death captivates people are as follows. Reason number one is the unknown. Reason number two is its finality. To start, let's go broad. I used to believe, and still to agree do, that no good story doesn't have death involved. No good movies, no good books, no television shows, etc. Why? Because of the element we discussed earlier. Death is the most consequential element to most of all of our lives. It shatters another, another living human being's soul and throws it into uncharted territory. And this can, and all the, all the time does, devastate the human spirit and psyche. No matter who it is, close or far away, tightened or not, it affects you. The same is true with the content we consume. Some of the characters in fiction and history are those who have faced tremendous hardship and adversity in their lives. Death is a component to nearly all of them, especially the best ones. While its main focus is to rip things apart, death also has a bizarre way of bringing us closer together. The dichotomies never seem to end. They always find themselves emerging above the surface. And, stranger still, these are some of the characters that we've been attached to the most. Their trauma seems oddly comforting. Their pain seems oddly, seems oddly relatable. Their consequences, like our consequences, seem very real. So real, in fact, that we can identify with them on a personal level. We do it all the time, even if we don't realize it. Think of the stories you listened to and read growing up. Why did you become attached to them? Because, odds are, you probably felt some type of connection to them. I felt a connection to Luke and Anakin Skywalker because they came from non-Darth Vader-loving families who felt that they had to escape. I felt a connection to Harry Potter because of my desire to belong. I felt a connection to Indiana Jones because he embodied what I wanted to be in life, a man of capability and responsibility. But if you look at them, they're all defined by tragedy. Anakin and Luke Skywalker had family members dropped le dead left and right. Harry Potter's parents were slaughtered right in front of him. Indiana Jones killed like at least 295 million people in every single one of his movies, and he was only a mere college professor. Death surrounds them, and death defines them. In a strange way, I think we all know this is the base of our souls. We might not think about it when watching the movie or the show, but either when their badassery and or trauma are put on display, we undoubtedly feel something. A sense of horror, of curiosity, of wonderment. No matter what it is, we all feel something. Which leads us back to our two reason. First, let's begin, Johnny Lawrence voice, with the unknown. The unknown, meaning anything that we do not fully understand, which, let's be honest, is mostly everything, captivates us because we are constantly wanting to try to figure it out. It's a gigantic puzzle and we all want to try to solve it. We like certainty and we don't like uncertainty. The beer virus pandemic proved that without a shadow of a doubt. Anyone who says otherwise is kidding themselves. But no matter how much we try, we cannot ever do so. And why? Because there is something different with death than there is with every other puzzle we try to solve in life. The internet and mass media have shown us that nearly everyone can do nearly anything. There is always someone doing some bizarre thing that is cracking some crazy code, making some crazy scientific judgment. We share and retweet and follow these people because we want to emulate them. 
we want to see if we can do something similar. However, the reason that death isn't that simple is, ironically, very simple. It's the only puzzle that has never been solved. The reason people fear death to the irrational first extreme is because no one can ever totally ameliorate the unknown. No one has ever survived death. It is death, after all. We all fear what we don't understand, and we will never be able to totally understand the concept of death because the concept of death is unbelievably foreign to all of us. There have been stories of people with near-death experiences or have come back from being, quote, dead before, certainly. But no one has ever stayed there. The irony is that being dead is solving the puzzle of death. It's not a sometimes thing, like just starting a business or solving a jigsaw puzzle isn't. Or just like starting a business or solving a jigsaw puzzle isn't, excuse me. You start the business, you don't unstart it. You solve the jigsaw puzzle, you don't undergo that activity to not solve the jigsaw puzzle. Any other mindset to both of those and to so many others is incredibly counterproductive. No sane person would conduct any of these activities if this were the case. It's either all in or all out, especially with the case of life and death. We know all about life. We experience it ourselves and live it through other people. It inspires us to do all the great things that human beings have done throughout history. It's the one thing that binds us together, especially in a time at which we're so divided. We all live, and we all mostly like to live. We all like that life brings us opportunity, even though it sometimes can suck. It gives us the opportunity to get better and to thrive. With death, however, we're robbed of everything. There is no opportunity. All the doors shut. They close forever. We can never reopen them. We lose everything. That terrifies the shit out of us, and why wouldn't it, to be fair? Like I said before, we like all of these things. To lose them, at the end of the day, would mean the loss of everything we know. Then we would be completely at the mercy of the unknown. We would be cloaked in it, suffocated by it, strangled by it. It's an, a place no one would want to even visit, much less live. The second reason, finality, captivates us because we don't want to realize what the finality of life means. We don't want to realize that when it's over. It's over. It's not like a book or movie or television show. You can't go back and revisit it again. You can't go to a vacation spot or see a loved one or a friend again. But unlike what Drake, Lil Wayne, and Rick Ross, and Nancy Sinatra for that matter might tell you, you can only live once. The ending to Steve Jobs' biography, written by Walter Isaacson, exemplifies this perfectly, and in the perfect Jobs fashion. When Jobs became very sick with terminal cancer, he was asked by Isaacson to comment on his mortality. In his trademark beautiful abruptness, Jobs gave a very blunt but very thoughtful answer. But his final conclusion hit home in a remarkably insightful way, mostly because he chose to make the home button instead. Quote, Maybe that's why I didn't make on-off switches on Apple devices. End quote. Ain't that trivial, but ain't that the truth? That is, quite literally, what happens when someone dies. Their life force is extinguished. They turn off. They can never turn on, or be turned on, gotta keep it light, again. They cannot do anything more. They simply lay there, a dead corpse that once contained a human soul. And now none of that remains. It's something so unrecognizable that most don't want to come to terms with it. We all want to know and inquire about legacy. It's such a loaded word and one that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people in greater context. But no matter what interpretations we take of the word, we always have to go back to the words themselves. That's what words do if you didn't know. There must be a root that they return to. There must be a genesis. Legacy is the act of leaving something behind. 
it's being remembered for something, whether that's being the guy that didn't put on-off switches on iPhones to being a good mother and wife. In a lot of ways, I believe that this is what drives the human condition. We, cl we strive, yeah, we climb and strive in order to reach something. What we reach is different for each of us, but the reason is the same. We want to be seen or thought of when that something we went after is seen or thought of. The act of seeking legacy is then, respectively, our way of combating the finality of death. We all know that we're going to die one day. However, we attempt to rationalize that fact by coming up with new ones that will supersede our time of living. Maybe it's us believing in some sort of afterlife, like heaven. Maybe it's another form of earthly existence, like our name, that will be carried on throughout our generations by our families. Maybe it's a business or a nonprofit or a name on some building somewhere. But no matter what it is, we all chase it. We all want to leave something behind before we ourselves have to leave. However, throughout both of these reasons as to why death is captivating, they, there is one string that unites the two of them together. Avoidance. Death, a lot of the times, is the most brutal thing we have to face in life. Human beings, whether we want to admit it or not, are always attracted and captivated by the horrible and the atrocious. Negativity bias, the program in our brains that spurns us to look at the worst in people in the world, sways our emotions towards them. It is a form of evolutionary biology manifesting in the present realm. But like a lot of biological reactions, they can help influence our reasoning behind them in pessimistic ways. Our fast-feeling brains hijack our entire brain, and we come out all fucked up. Our final analyses of death, in general, are twofold. The final analyses of death, are in specific, are wrong. Here is what they are, and here is why. So, we all know that death captivates us in an appalling trance. We are attracted to it, whether we admit it or not. It draws us in. It seduces us. We all want to know the answer, but it doesn't want to tell us. So we search, mostly aimlessly and endlessly. Like F. Like F. Scott Fitzgerald once beautifully wrote, we beat on. Boats against the current, born back ceaselessly into the past. That's The Great Gatsby, by the way. It's the greatest book ever. Please read it. This singular train of thought, however takes a divergence down two paths. There are two primary ways that people look at death. They both fall on opposite sides of the opinion spectrum, with each camp, from what I can tell, embodying about the same critical mass as the other. Their reasonings are similar, but their outcomes are starkly different. But curiously, they both seem to converge again on a similar point. Their inaccuracy. From my perception, and hopefully yours after reading this, these two views that the majority of people split into and hold on the topic of death are wrong. Due to the massive amounts of conformity, dogma, and tribalism that seemingly polarize everything, most people have been lumped into either one camp or another. I'm a fan of polarization when it's con constructive to us. But, from my angle on the issue, the two camps are not constructive to us at all. They're the opposite. They make us afraid and turn us into cowards. Anything that willingly weakens you without the promise of future strength for your sacrifice is something you should never entertain. The first way that people think about death is something we alluded to earlier, avoidance. The first way that people look at death is, ironically, to not look at it at all. They became like me when I was a child, afraid, scared, and weak. 
they avoid it like the plague. It would hurt way more to think about it than to not think about it. So they just decide to take it out of their brains in general. This is, on its face, a very understandable conclusion to come to. People want to be optimistic and positive most of the time, and more on this in a second. So they would much rather take something dark and depressing out of their minds totally. Why waste their energy on something that will ultimately bring them down? Something that, all things being equal, will do nothing but ruin their day and make them miserable and sad. So to avoid being miserable and sad, they just tend to throw, on, throw it on the back burner. They'll get to it when they get to it, most likely when it's at their door and they can't afford to not look at it anymore. They don't want to integrate it in the way they go about their lives because they don't want their lives to be defined by other things. But what are those other things, you might ask? Well, it could be the opposite of their death. Their life. Hanging out with their friends and drinking mimosas on the weekend. Getting involved with some charity that their parents support and they feel obligated to support it. Maybe they'll post about it on Instagram afterwards so they can feel good about themselves. And that is the key. If thinking about their death makes most people feel bad, a reasonable assumption in my estimation, then feeling good would be the ultimate antidote to avoid that level of self-imposed suffering. Dopamine and serotonin are two great things, but they're also blinded by delusion when they get hoard out to excess. People run them into the ground and then use them to dig their own graves. The second way that people look at death is from the dreaded self-love perspective. Death is, quote, beautiful, these people to say. It's something to celebrate. We need to embrace the macabre, and at the end of the day, because we just need to appreciate everything about everybody, even some of the hardest times that people go through. There's no need to be sad about anything. There's only a need to self-validate, to make yourself immune to your feelings and your body and your mind's natural way of dealing with tragedy. In this way, these people believe that they will be forever shielded from pain and suffering. These are all the people that read a Jensen Sero book about affirmations and positive thinking and shitting with the door open and believing all these things are socially acceptable to do. That anyone who judges you or questions your beliefs simply, quote, doesn't understand you. You begin to believe that you're better than them. You begin to judge others for their non-allegiance to what you believe is correct. Because in this philosophy, death is something to appreciate and to love. It's the complete opposite of what the other side thinks. They judge people for being sad and depressed because in their opinion, nothing can ever be sad and depressing. Grandma just died? Why cry when you can yell at your Twitter followers about how she, how she quote, lived her best life? You can livestream her funeral, too. Your eulogy is about to be fire, as if these people didn't know enough already. In summary, both of these mindsets as it pertains to death are complete and utter dog shit. I tend to be disgusted by the second one much more than the first simply because of my complete disdain for anything related to self-love culture in general. But the reason that both of these mindsets are bullshit has nothing to do with personal preference. It has everything to do with what most things are fucked up about in our current times have to deal with. Excess. Both the first and second mindsets our culture has adopted pertaining to death have succumbed to excess. The only reason they're so different is because they've gone down two different paths in the forked road we mentioned earlier. One has simply taken a mindlessly positive direction, the other has taken a mindlessly negative direction. They're both exaggerated and hyperbolic to the nth degree, but we tend to agree with one over the other because that's what our brains have been so conditioned to do due to our bizarre social dynamic we've been all exposed to over the past years. It's either everything or nothing. There is no in-between. We can't afford it, not if we want to keep the company that we currently keep. And deep down, we all know that we cannot do this. It's the reason, the reason why is the reason why we can't with anything on any given level of excess. It distorts reality. We need to look at what the situation and consequences of death actually entail, not what we wish them to be. 
We cannot simply pretend that it doesn't exist and shove it in the closet. We also cannot pretend that death is sunshine and rainbows when it's clearly not. Self-love is mostly self-lies, if you remember. You would be wise not to lie to yourself. It's the biggest disservice to yourself that you can ever willingly undertake. Let's dig into this concept a bit more. The first way is wrong because it is both irrational and unnatural. When you are fully aware of something and know fully well what it is, in concept not in totality I should mention, all of your fear should go away. Most fear that we feel is not real because we gather most information to learn more about it. Unfortunately, most of us are either too lazy or too petrified to undergo this task willingly. We all know that we're going to die. We all know that our lives are going to end at some point. We're all aware of this. So much is uncertain in our lives at so many different points, but this is one of the few things that we can know we can't avoid. You eventually have to get off the ride at some point. You can't keep going on a cycle. Eventually, you have to get snuffed out. Some might say that this is contradictory to my point I just made about not knowing anything about what death really is. I would say that those people are correct. We don't know what really happens when you die and stay dead. It's the great mystery. However, we all know of it. Everyone is aware that no one lives forever, at least yet. Because, you know, I don't know, Peter Thiel's doing some crazy shit where he wants to fucking freeze his... I don't know. We all know about the moment of... that. We all know that the moment of the end is going to happen. We don't know anything about after, but we know of that moment. Therefore, it is useless at best and destructive at worst to have any fear of the moment itself. If you fear to live your life in fear of what is to come, you waste an immense amount of your own precious time that could be used in more profitable ventures. You could be doing something productive, something that could help other people or yourself. Choosing to succumb to your own narcissism through your avoidance and fear that is completely unsubstantiated is a very poor one indeed. Too many people waste so much of their energy burdening over something that does not contain any burden whatsoever. A burden is something that you know you'll have to carry and stress over. Knowing your own mortality and accepting it for what it is, and more on this later too, should not be one of those things. A burden should be something meaningful, something you should do while you are living. Undertaking a burden that is focused on the other side of life is a silly gambit, and with the world we live in currently, we shouldn't want to deal with any more silliness. The second way is wrong, because death, even though we should not be afraid of it, is mostly horrible. I say mostly because, in my opinion, there are some people that do deserve to have their life taken from them. Terrorists certainly count, child molesters and mass murderers and sexual predators and tyrannical leaders do as well. I think we all can mostly agree that the world would be better off without some of those people and the vile things that they do while participating in it. But mostly, death is not that way. Death is hard. Death is painful. Death is, in a lot of cases, suffering personified. Masking those truths in denial does nothing for you other than prolonging it. Cloaking those truths in mindless positivity only blinds us from the way forward to accepting what has happened. Most of us, even though a lot of the time we pretend that we do, don't like to live in a world of our own construction. Most of the time, that world is composed of our own lies that we tell ourselves. We don't want to face what happens in our lives all of the time, so we simply remove real life from the equation and construct a fantasy one in its place. It removes all of our strength and replaces it with weakness, which is never a wise thing to possess when dealing with extreme hardship. And, ironically, cloaking horror and positivity to something else. It leaves us open to more horror. The reason that this occurs is due to our denial. Whenever you defer something, you leave the future open to pulling out a can of whoop-ass on you. When you invest, you expect more from that investment in the future. Things tend to compound, whether you're talking about money or your feelings. And when you defer your feelings, 
you're going to have to feel them at some point. And usually, they come out more volatile than you would like to think them to be. I, and I would post to say men in particular, have a very hard problem with this. We stifle our emotions and suppress them, and when we finally have to man up and face them head on, we usually blow up in the process. We explode. We do things that we otherwise wouldn't do. And we leave those who care about us the most as the ones to bear for our own pussy attitude about dealing with our problems. They're always the ones that get hurt, never us. Don't hide unwanted things in the fog. That's the rule number three, by the way. Don't hide from your problems. Don't pussy out of dealing with them, especially with something as serious and consequential as death and all the horror it entails. Such a tragedy requires strength, not weakness. Whenever you willingly weaken yourself, you do a disservice to the other people who may need you. This, by no means, is telling you to ignore. That would defeat the whole purpose of writing the last couple of paragraphs and talking about them in this podcast. Take care of yourself. But the best way to take care of yourself is to deal with yourself and to help other people in the same way. Make yourself useful. Have other people use you to help themselves. Encourage self-sufficiency, not codependence. To create a culture of self-sufficiency within yourself and within reason, extremes cannot be used. They're way too inefficient and way too unbalanced to be a reliable model. Instead, and as always, a more balanced and nuanced approach must be utilized. It's the only effective way to deal with the consequences of something that means this much. To illustrate, let's turn to a guy whose entire fictional biography was devoted to death. And massive spoiler alert to come, so I will remind you once again, but spoiler alert upcoming. I probably should have said that about Dune, too, but whatever. Still go see Dune. It's a great movie. Sons of Anarchy is the most realistically and viscerally violent television show ever made. Nothing that I've seen even comes close. It's a horror show in nearly every episode. Dudes biting their tongues out of their own mouths, children killing their parents, ripping out people's teeth with beer bottles, burning people alive, the whole shit. There are some parts I'll never be able to watch again, even though the show by itself is one of the best I've ever seen. The actual Sons of Anarchy are a fictional motorcycle club and criminal organization run by the show's main character, Jax Teller. The son of the founding member of the club, Teller's fall throughout the show from hero to villain is one of the greatest arcs attempted in modern television. Jax descends from a person who tries to do good on behalf of his family and club to a mass-murdering psychopath that nearly runs both into the ground. The show is based on Macbeth for a reason. Death is the main theme of Sons of Anarchy. The main symbol for the motorcycle club is the Grim Reaper. Their members, once they get initiated by killing someone, are referred to as, quote, men of mayhem. The violence in the show and the death it causes are, in many ways, the only important things to keep the show moving. It's so ingrained in the show that it's the first thing that most people who have seen it think when it pops up in their heads. But it is the final death that the show is the actual theme of what the genius creator and showrunner, Kurt Sutter, was trying to enforce. Again, spoiler alert, so if you want to watch Sons of Anarchy, I'll try to make it as delicate as possible, but probably skip ahead at this part. In the final scene of the show, Jax knows that his time is up. Every one of his enemies has been vanquished. The one thing he has left in his life, the club, has been irreparably damaged by him. The FBI is hunting him down. The club decides that it would be best if he left and never came back. Jax, knowing this, decides to and decides to go where he is at his happiest. His motorcycle. He says goodbye to his fellow members and sets off for the highway, deliberately alerting the police to his presence. In a stunning scene, with seemingly every cop in the Western Hemisphere trailing him, 
Jax rolls off through the California desert, completely at peace. He's serene. He's calm. He's final. When the time is right, he picks his spot, spreads his arms like an eagle, and accepts his fate. It's a scene that's nearly biblical. It couldn't have been more, a more poetic way to go out. So, in a show defined by death, what could the death of the show's lead character that was not nearly as violent, at least from what we know, we didn't see the semi afterwards, as most mean? The reason is because Jax Teller knew both sides. He took both reasons of why death is captivating, the finality and the unknown, and faced them with a nearly unbreakable calm. He knew that he did all that he could. Jax Teller was an awful person. Jax Teller did awful things to an awful number of people. If he believed in an afterlife, he probably knew which version of the afterlife he would be facing. He knew all of these things. But yet he didn't care. What makes Jax Teller such a badass and a hero to so many people who adored him in the show is that, in the end, he didn't care about what happened to him afterwards. He probably knew. Jax was many things, but he wasn't stupid. He knew that the unparalleled level of carnage he left in his wake was going to lead to disastrous consequences for himself and the people he cared about. Like all of us about death, he knew it was coming. And that was exactly his power. The beautiful thing about things being finite, like your life, is that it gives them value. All value is derived from some sort of scarcity. Things that are plentiful are far, more val far less valuable than things that are not. Examples are innumerable, but they always contain the same truth. When something is hard to come by, it is automatically placed higher in all of our corresponding hierarchies of dominance. We all want something that is harder to attain, whether we come to terms that willingly or not. Life, however, is the conduit that makes everything in our world possible. As we alluded to before, nothing in life can happen without you living it first. Thus we have another dichotomy. All value comes from things that are finite, but at the same time we don't want to face the finality of dying. We're forced to participate in this cruel self-fulfilling prophecy. We know we're fucked at the end. We know it's going to be over before we even know it. Yet we still have to play it. It's a sick joke. Or is it? I would think Jack, think Jack's Teller would argue not. Even though Jack's Teller was an awful person, he did accomplish his goals in the end. He set the club free, although whether it would stay free is still up for the decision. Shout out to the Mayans. He set his kids free. He died free. He knew where his train wreck of a life was going to go. He knew that he would hurt and injure and wound many people in the process. But he didn't care. The ability to perceive that death is the ultimate endpoint is a superpower. It gives you a lease on life to pursue meaning and value. Knowing that something is finite should always signal to you that the same thing is rare. But because life is valuable, and the most valuable thing you can ha experience and have, doesn't mean that it's always fun and positive and happy. You have to sacrifice to gain something of value. You have to struggle. You have to make yourself uncomfortable. You have to be able to look at the suffering and the tragedy in, face and see, and, in the face and see all of the beauty and all of the horror that they directly flash back to you. Just because you live and you die does not mean you're entitled to happiness. You're not entitled to anything. It's a hell of a drug, to quote the great Rick James. However, what it does entitle you to is an opportunity. Knowing that you only have a certain time to get shit done should automatically light a fire under your ass. It should give you a radical sense of urgency. It should set the pace for the rest of your life so that you can keep a steady track of what you need to get done, why you want to get it done, and how you want to go about doing it. The way we should actually look at death is through the lens of the same opportunity. 
It does not give you a happy ending because death is not a happy thing. Instead, it grants you an opportunity to find a happy resolution to that unfortunate ending. It gives you an insight into finding a justification to know that, in the end, it's all going to be for nothing anyway. No matter what you do in life, it's all going to be over. It's going to turn off like a light switch. There's nothing, at least for now, that anyone can do about it. The reason that Jax Teller went so calmly in the face of a horrible ending to his life is because he thought that it was worth it to do so. He saw that, in the end, he was able to justify the horrific conclusion of his life that he had left some good behind. He knew the importance of legacy and felt that he had accomplished it. I think that all people who are calm while facing the ultimate tragedy feel something like this. They're not afraid to go because they know where they've been. It's not about caring where you're going to go. It's about knowing what you left behind and how you went about doing it is more important. The key to death and looking at death is this. You need to see that it was all for nothing. In the wise words of Hendrik Lamar, what happens on earth stays on earth. At least you think so. We will never know, as you talked about in the duration of this podcast. You have to realize that, in the end, not much of you will remain. Whatever legacy you have will most likely not last forever. You will be removed from the grand cycle of life, as will everyone else. And that's okay. Letting go, the art of detachment, is the key to looking at death. Mark Manson's uncomfortable truth will always remind us of this. We are incredibly insignificant in our own ways. But, in our own ways, we are also incredibly significant to that small group of people and elements of life that we truly value. That's why it's so important to know what is importantly specifically to, important specifically to you. The ability to let go of what you've done and be okay with going to come, what is going to come is the key to looking both at death and living a successful life. Things happen. People die. You will die. Everyone you love will eventually do the same thing. Cherish them. Cherish yourself. Value them and yourself. If you don't, you will end up leaving a very insignificant legacy behind. You will live a very unfulfilling life. You will fear the end of it, because you know that you could have been so much more than what you are. And that, I assume, is why Steve Jobs didn't put on-off switches on Apple devices. Death is amplified by a lack of life. The less value you place on living it fully, the more death will loom in the shadows. It is our job as humans to distill that, that fear by being able to simultaneously live full and then let all of it go. If we live properly, we should go calmly into the night. If we choose not to, we will fight the inevitable. We will succumb to our fear and let it constrict and dominate our lives. To fear death is to fear life, and a life feared is not a life lived. And maybe that can make death a little bit less of a bitch. And on that positive note, we're done with this week. Okay, everybody? Okay. Well, that was a very sobering and harrowing look at what I think is kind of an interesting topic. But anyway, I hope you guys liked that this week. Back with a new podcast next week. I actually recorded next week's podcast yesterday because I did not have this post done up until this morning. Did it after I went to work out this morning. So... Have a great week, guys. See you next See you next time, next podcast. Hopefully you come back after this horrible... Well, not. I don't think it was horrible. I thought the topic was kind of horrible, but I thought the podcast was pretty good. I hope you guys felt the same. So, own the day. Open your mind. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nino Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. 
Think about the shit and I think it well How can I mix my grip And how should I make that nigga straight